about the best money I ever spent in my entire life was back around 2007 when I got LASIK surgery. Uh, LASIK surgery, I was the kid in, in third grade that I started, well, got my first pair of glasses in third grade. And I was the kid that wore the Coke bottles. You know, I was the kid that couldn't see anything. I remember playing basketball, you know, at Bogachetto, where we were, we were all great basketball players. I had an amazing jump shot, as I told you before. And, and I would be down low, and I'd get elbowed, and I'd come home, and I must have had to replace about 10 classes. My mom would be so mad, so I'd come home. And I, literally, literally at one point, you know that you see the, the, the image of the kid with the glasses taped up? Yeah, I actually, that was that kid one time. I had my glasses all taped because mom said, I'm not buying another pair. You just, you broke too many glasses. No more. You've got to deal with it. So I wore contacts after that. Um, and, you know, you're supposed to wear them for a week. And I didn't want to buy more. So I'd wear them for a month. And yeah, it did work out right. So I just said, okay, glasses. I'm going to wear glasses. I couldn't see anything. I'd wake up in the morning. I'd have to reach over and put on my glasses before I could even see the clock that I was looking at. So in 07, I got LASIK surgery. And it was, I, I could see. I mean, I could like see stuff. I could see my clock. I could see everything happening. It was great. You know, now I have these now. These are basically reading glasses. There's nothing really trying to make me look smarter than I really am. You know, makes me look, look, makes me look very intelligent, right, Tim? <laughs> I think I'll be doing <laughs> So I have these now. If I don't wear them, I get a headache. But, but you know, it, it, it allows me to, kind of, you know, to, to, to see. It's just, sight, sight is such an interesting thing. Sight is a fascinating thing to be able just to, to see. And sometimes we see, but we don't really see. I'll never forget when I was living in northeast Mississippi. I, I'm, I'm very busy. I don't always pay attention. And I remember one day I was crossing this hill over to Corinth. I looked and saw this valley where the trees were just, oh, they were changing. It was beautiful, like we'd see in a, in, in, in a poster. And I looked over at Holly and said, does this happen every year? Because <laughs> I didn't pay attention to it. And there was God's glory right there in front of me. Sight, sight is such an interesting thing. I, I've had members of mine that have had cataract surgery. Some dear friends here at our church and on staff have had cataract surgery recently. And I had a member when I was in the Delta have cataract surgery. And I asked her after the surgery was over with, I said, well, how do, how do you feel now that you had cataract surgery? She said, well, I hate it. I'm like, what do you mean you hate it? She said, yeah, I used to think I was a good housekeeper. Now I can see, I realize I'm not. <laughs> Sight's interesting. It's interesting when you look at the Bible, when you look at, when you look at Jesus' miracles, if you go and look, it's amazing how often one of the miracles that Jesus performs is the restoration of sight to the blind. That, that's one of those constant miracles that Jesus seems to always be performing is restoring sight to the blind. And there are a lot of, there are a lot of reasons why that's the case. A lot of reasons why Jesus <coughs> restores sight to the blind. Part of it is the physicality. Yes, when you have sight, you can see and you can be productive and you can live and you don't have, you, you can live a full life in that culture. And that's part of it. But I think for Jesus, I think for Jesus, the notion of restoration of sight to the blind is about something, something bigger, something better. Jesus restores sight to the blind. And that, that's not so much the physicality, but he lets us spiritually see.
He lets us actually be able to see what is happening spiritually. I have a friend of mine that that's, has a disease that's, that's robbing him of his eyesight. And, and he will probably, if he is not yet, he will be legally blind at some point soon. And, and he always told me one of the things he does every night is that he, he will stare at his wife and children for a while. He said, because, you know, Andy, one day I won't be able to see him. And I want to imprint upon my mind the reality of what they look like. I want to be able to see. So physically, I can see much better than he can. But spiritually, he sees so much better than me. Because how busy am I? How busy are we? How often do we spend our lives looking for things that aren't really life-giving and don't really root our hearts in Christ and aren't truly allowing us to see? Sight is such an interesting thing. Today, in, in, the, in the gospel lessons, I, gosh, I love y'all. I love the story of the transfiguration. Because, see, when we, when we see the transfiguration, we actually see Jesus as he truly is. By the way, that has one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Um, particularly in the King James, it says, it, it says this. It says, Peter, not knowing what to say, said. I love that. Because how often do we have no idea what we want to say, but we just keep talking? <laughs> One of my friends says, ah, you know, yeah, uh-huh. I do that all the time. One of my friends says, Andy, I figured you out. Well, you don't know what to say. You just keep talking till you figure out. I'm like, that's exactly right. I figure the more I talk, eventually something good will come out. It's just percentages. In the transfiguration, look at what we see Jesus, y'all. We see him in his power and in his glory and in his divinity. We truly see Jesus as he is. When you look at all the scripture, for so much of Jesus' life upon the earth, we don't. He doesn't get the glory he deserves. He doesn't get the honor he deserves. He doesn't get the praise he deserves. Yes, he gets it on his birth. And yes, when he comes to Jerusalem on the triumphal entry, he gets it. But for most of his life, he's wandering and preaching and being fussed at by Pharisees. But in this moment, in this moment, we see Jesus as he really is. Wow. The glory of God laid out before us. The glory of God's only son laid out before us to see. And what do you see when you look at Peter and the guys? They're like, wow. They don't know what to do with it. When you behold God's glory, you don't always even know what to do with it sometimes. Look at the text from 2 Corinthians. And there we see it talking about Moses. And the veil that he had to wear when he was in front of God. It says, now though, now though, you don't have to wear that veil. Now you, you can see. You can see. We have the ability through the Spirit of God to actually see the glory of God. There's not a day that we live, y'all. There's not a moment of our life that we live. If we aren't looking somehow somewhere some way we can behold the glory of God 
in your life, in everyone's life here, you've had at least one moment. You've had at least one moment in your life where you felt the power and the presence of God. You, you know the moment right now that I'm talking about. You know the moment right now that I'm talking about. Well, you, it may have been a fleeting moment. Or you may have been like Peter. We want to stay on the mountain forever. But you have, have had in your life some significant holy moment where you felt God's power. You have had a moment when you have felt the glory of God upon you. You have had a moment in your life when you knew you were in the presence and power of a holy and sacred God. You've had that moment, every one of us. And maybe it's just one moment, but you've had it. Let me ask you a question. What in your life has ever compared to that? What in your life has ever compared to that moment when you felt God's glory? What in your life has ever held a candle to that sacred moment when you knew you were in the presence of God? Outside of my marriage and the birth of my children, I can't think of anything. What's better than that, y'all? What is truly better in life than feeling the power of God? What is truly better in life than truly feeling the glory of God? What is better than coming before God's throne full of your brokenness, full of your failure, full of your defeat, and hearing your God saying, my child, you are forgiven. Nothing compares to that, y'all. Nothing. Nothing is as good as feeling that. Nothing is as life-giving as feeling that. Nothing is as powerful as knowing that you are in God's presence and that God's glory abounds everywhere. Nothing compares with it. And yet, how often in our life do we spend it chasing other things? How often in our life do we spend our life looking for things that don't really satisfy or that aren't really life-giving or that aren't really full of God's glory? We have been shown the glory of the Father through Jesus Christ, the Son. And y'all, nothing can compare with that. Nothing can compare with that. We've got to orient our life around that which is truly life-giving. In these last few weeks, we've talked about what it means to be part of St. Matthew's. We've talked about God's grace that seeks us out in ways that we can't even imagine. We've talked about the notion of positioning ourselves to encounter God's grace with our prayer and our scripture studies. We've talked about the the ability to be life-changers through through loving others, through God's grace. But today, y'all... C.S. Lewis says this, all God promises you is full communion with himself. But what else matters? I mean, what else else compares to the goodness of God? 
What else compares to the glory of God? What else compares to the life of God? Because we're going to have, y'all, we're going to have a thousand things tomorrow pulling at us. We're going to have a thousand things this afternoon pushing at us. We're going to have a thousand things pulling at our time, pulling at our sight, pulling at our lives, pulling at our families, pulling at our very souls, saying, no, no, this is where life is found. No, no, this is where life is found. No, no, this is where life is found. And what we need, y'all, what we need is that grace of God to be like Moses and to see. What we need is the grace that Peter and James and John had to see, to see the glory of God. And that glory of God doesn't just abide here in this place. It doesn't just abide in worship, but it abides when you love. It abides when you seek God through scripture. It abides when you pray. It abides when you're riding down the interstate and that guy gets in front of you on the interstate and you really want to ram his car, but you don't because you're a Christian. And I need your prayers on that one, y'all. I need your prayers. Amen. The glory of God abides not just in the sacred and not just in the holy, but the glory of God abides everywhere. Because in God's world, there's no division between the sacred and the profane. God's glory abides everywhere. The Psalms say the heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool. He has written his glory upon the firmament so that none are without an excuse. God's glory abides. Do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see his glory in your neighbor? Do you see his glory when you read his word? Do you see his glory when you seek his face? Do you see his glory when you forgive? Do you see his glory when you are forgiven? Do you see it? In your life, in your life, there was a moment. There was a moment when sure as anything, you felt the power of God. You felt the glory of God upon your life. Nothing can ever compare with or compete with that. By God's grace, friends, may he give us eyes to see his glory each day. And may we live out of that glory, transforming and changing our world with all that we are. Let us pray.